horror court trash over the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And it's February, so that means it is our yearly dose of women in horror and Valentine's. This week, we're bringing you women in horror. Yes. Um, I think women in horror, I think it's good to dedicate some time to women in horror and yeah there's um, a genre that's uh, usually renowned for not being too kind to women yeah um obviously we haven't got time to really get into that yeah (laughs) i mean also a genre that has been led by women absolutely um absolutely for, for the most part uh and anyone who's not familiar with women in horror month i i again i'm sure it's not uh, an official thing anymore. I think it's actually just been renamed to Women in Horror Movement, so it's yeah. all year round. Uh, and, you know, on this podcast, we celebrate Women in Horror all year round. Absolutely. Uh, whether it's directors, actors, you know, or we're always celebrating females. Um, but we still want to dedicate at least two episodes during February to female filmmakers because they deserve the spotlight, and Katia definitely deserves the spotlight. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So um, we are discussing Stripped to Kill from 1987. to Kill. Very Which, interesting. Very interesting because with a title like Stripped to Kill, yeah. you wouldn't think there was a female... Gaze. Or a female director yeah. at the helm. A female director and writer. and um, You wouldn't think that because... Um, it's called Strip to Kill, for yeah, yeah. sake, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't really need to explain why. Um, but, it, but it also does exactly what that title makes you think the film would do. Yeah. But it's a little more clever than that. It is, it is. And I think that's why it has such a low rating on IMDb. Um, yes. Because this is very much the case. Like you said, it does provide what you expect, but not in the way you would expect. This is more of a celebration um, of uh, pole dancing, stripping, um, you know, everything that would be exploited in other films is celebrated here. And you get to see the fine art of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. As we go through the film... That would definitely come to, to light. But it's also got a very... Ca- and I, I truly believe intentional camp and uh, trashy side to it as well. Uh, I mean, the best way I could describe this film is if you take Showgirls, Miss Congeniality, throw them in a blender and add a slasher to it, this is Strip to Kill. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> and I ain't kidding. <laughs> this, is, this has the plot of Miss Congeniality. <laughs> yeah, no, essentially. <laughs> and the acting of Showgirls. <laughs> That is very true. <laughs> um, but it, it's so much fun. I, I really love it. Uh, but getting into it, directed by Kat Shia, uh, previous star of the podcast, who directed The Rage Carry 2. Yeah, another misunderstood yeah. film. Yeah. And you can tell, very much tell it's her style as well. Um, she, she's great. She really is great. I'd, I'd love to see more of her stuff. She's also done Dance of the Damned, Streets, Stripped to Kill 2, Nancy Drew and Hidden Secrets with Beverly from It, the latest... Yeah. Sharing the secret, uh, last exit to Earth, and yeah, and of course, the Rage Carry 2. Didn't she direct Poison Ivy, the Drew Barrymore film? Did I not mention that? No. No, but I believe she did, yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why it's missing. 
that's quite a big film to yeah, make probably, that list. I, I probably didn't put as many down because we already mentioned it on the Carry 2 episode. Budget, worldwide gross, unknown. I assume this is straight to video. Um, no, no. No? It probably, it probably would have played at some drive-in or something. Or, oh, were there drive-ins in 87? I'm oh, sure there would have been. Yeah. Um, there would have been so, before um, Giuliani um, tried to clean up New York. Yeah. It would have been in some theatres there, I presume. So, Katshia got the idea for this film after her then-husband, Andy Rubin, made her go to a strip club after she lost a bet with him. At first, she was embarrassed because everyone thought she was an off-duty stripper. When she sat down to watch the show, she soon realised that their dancing was a valid form of artistic expression, and that's when she decided to make this movie in order to show off their true abilities. And that is so refreshing for a film in 1987. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it would, it would, and that's why only a female filmmaker would be able to make a yeah. film like this yeah and be so sex work positive yeah and it, this also could have been a valid pride month episode as well because whilst the ending might be questionable in some aspects there is also a lesbian couple in this film taken seriously yeah and like literally characters um you know they 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 say no it's actually serious it's actually a serious couple mm-hmm. um which is also refreshing to see in 1987 all the songs featured in the film were added in post-production. The strip scenes were all shot using popular songs, but those songs had to be replaced in post because the licensing rights proved to be too expensive and the songs you get in place of them are something. This soundtrack needs to be released. It needs to be released? <laughs> the, the ones with the female singer, yeah. The ones with the male singer who's ridiculously loud. No, we can forget about those. It, it's... I'm sorry. <laughs> the lyrics are so generic. I have to say, the music is <laughs> fucking awful. You can tell it was written directly for this film. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, it's very on the nose, isn't it, as well? Oh, you're looking at a stripper. Yeah, essentially... <laughs> looking at her on that pole. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, they couldn't afford shorts hard for the money by Donna Summer, but a lot of them do seem to be giving that same message. We are in agreement that the best one is one where where it's like, her job is to slay. Yeah, yes. (laughs) The best of a bad bunch. Uh, It took a year for Katshia to convince Roger Corman to make this film. So he's the producer, uh, old Roger Corman. Um, Some interesting backstory of him in this film. So he made Humanoids from the Deep before this, no? Was it? Humanoids from the Deep is before this, but Humanoids from the Deep is a female director. Female director, Roger Corman, uh, producing, no. Produced, yeah. The reason I bring that up is because this film is so clear that Katshia had uh, artistic expression. It's it's director's choice. Uh, Creative freedom, that's what I'm trying to say. Um... You could tell she was in charge of this film. Humanoids from the Deep is a little more exploitative. And if you look in the trivia of that film, Roger Corman was very much taken over. I see. Um, to the point that I believe he was an uncredited director, or there was never uncredited male director. Um, that seemed to be the case, because the Bloodbath had a female director, a co-director yeah. as well. So it seems to be this case where Roger Corman doesn't trust his female director. Yes. Yeah. This film basically had Katshia bullying him until he gave her what she wanted. Yeah. Um, you could tell. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> uh, real strippers were used to play strippers in the movie. 
you can yeah, tell. Yeah, it's very clear. <laughs> um, Kat Sheard gave the strippers uh, she cast in the film acting classes in the living room of her home. <laughs> yeah. One of the characters had her dialogue replaced entirely by actress Teddy Siddle during post-production. Yep. <laughs> uh, this was Kachia's directorial debut. She acted in several low-budget comedies and thrillers before writing a script and convincing Roger Corman to produce it. She said in an interview that she hated acting because she's very shy. She had no idea how she survived those years, especially since she was required to be naked in most of her roles. Taking her clothes off in front of people terrified her, but she had to do it to get the parts. She didn't miss that when she quit acting and focused on directing only. That's crazy, though, isn't it? That's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of different to the message of this mm. film. Yeah. Interestingly, actually. Yeah, and I think that is really interesting that, you know, as someone who didn't like doing that, and which kind of comes across in the Cody character at first. Yeah. Um, that kind of reminded me of that. Um, I think it's very interesting that she's still, you know, even though it's something she doesn't necessarily want to do anymore, the fact that she's making it positive for other women in this film, I think it's it's really great. I suppose there's a respect there. Yeah. In, in terms of, she was too shy to do it, mm-hmm. and she had that anxiety over it, um, and the there's sort of a respect for women who are able to do it. Yeah. And, make the most of it and make it into a proper art form. Yeah. She and uh, writer Andy Rubin both wanted a twist ending where one of the strippers turned out to be a man in drag. They even brought in a female impersonator from La Cage of Fowls. I believe I'm saying that right. That piece of shit film that we didn't enjoy. Um, well, I think it's an actual place. Oh, I've, I've... Named after the oh, film. I thought they actually meant from it's the film from, itself. No, not from the film. <laughs> like borrowing from that film. Yeah, no, it's... That's the name of the film, but there was, I believe, a club... Oh, um, okay. ...maybe in, in Hollywood that was named after the film. So they brought in a female impersonator to meet with Roger Corman and explain in detail how a man can convince other man he's a woman in a G-string outfit. Corman was so upset and horrified by the idea that he kicked him out of his office and cancelled the project immediately. She refused to accept that and finally wore Corman down until he let her move ahead with the project, only with no man in drag. Uh, Corman said he knew his audience and knew they didn't want to see a female impersonator. And the best part of all this is, even though it's probably one of the more questionable questionable aspects of the film, they still got away with it. (laughs) It still happened. Yeah, it's uh, spoiler alert. The the killer is does turn out to be a man dressed as a woman, um, but I believe I, I believe that trivia, if if I'm thinking correctly, is that the the male, the, the female impersonator would play Roxanne for the whole of the film. Yeah. Whereas I believe in the scenes where Roxanne is dancing. That is an actual female stripper. I don't Am know. I... I don't know because. Do we ever see Roxanne actually dance? I'm sure. There I'm are sure two. Roxanne I does have dance. to admit, there are two women in this film who look very similar. They've both got massive, you know, hearts, big black hair. Yeah. Um, they enjoy wearing black lace. And I do get them mixed up. Do we actually... Well, in the cast... It's never... Because they usually introduce the dancers, and I don't yeah. think they ever did for well, Roxanne. In the cast on IMDb, the actor who plays Eric is listed as playing Roxanne as well. 
Okay, so I think maybe we don't see Roxanne dance. No, unless there's a separate actress who plays Roxanne who during plays the Roxanne during the dance. Well, during the start as well, during the scene with yeah. Angel. So maybe that's the one who when they're during the talking dance scenes. at yeah. the door. Yeah, because there is Roxanne. Obviously, before spoiler alert, it's gonna get spoiled anyway. Um, before Roxanne is killed, because mm. she's only in one scene before yeah. she's killed off screen, but we don't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Very complicated. Cashier used non-invasive camera placement, artistically inclined lighting choices, and long dance sequences to show that dancers were talented exotic performers and not just strippers, pulling off clothes to show their naked bodies to a crowd of leering men. And those scenes are shot really well. They really are. It is very strange, though, because every time there's a scene with a stripper stripping, um, it is very artistic. But there's, like, a real storyline. But to yeah. each one, it's not like the women have their own storyline that every time they strip, like, this is biker chick, mm. this is, you know... Um, Japanese woman in one of the scenes that's very 1987 um, but each time they're on it's a different performance which I don't think actually would happen in real strip clubs um, no. but in terms of the film it's very interesting very entertaining um, this film turned into the biggest hit Roger Corman had ever enjoyed in, in years uh, and I completely forgot to mention this earlier but it is straight to VHS um, because it quickly rose above the rest of director VHS fair at the time and garnered a particular success overseas that helped launch uh, Katshia's career as a director. Yeah, let, let's be honest, you know, v, straight to VHS, a film called Strip to Kill. <laughs> with, with artwork like that. With artwork like that. <laughs> I mean, Showgirls was a huge success on VHS. Massive success. Way more. We all know why. Let's, let's just keep it at that. <laughs> um, this was before the internet, guys. <laughs> Roger Corman didn't like the first two-hour cut and forced his way into the editing room Bloody where he made several changes. The what? Two-hour cut? <laughs> two-hour... I need I, this. I don't know. I don't... <laughs> I'm not sure if I can do the two-hour cut. Oh, hell yeah, that'd be great. This kind of film is good because it's... Well, it, it, yeah. this is very quick. This is Imagine very for quick. two hours. This is really quick. Do you think it's just an extra half hour of more dancing? I would hope so. That would be nice. Like, like their version of um, Linnea Quigley's horror workout. Yeah. I think that would be great. Uh, Katshia said this is the first film that shows strippers using poles as part of their act. Like, in history. Oh, I can't. <laughs> so, Showgirls does have this film to thank. Clearly. Well, I suppose. Oh, well, yeah, I suppose so. Deborah Lamb um, was working as a new dancer. Not, not quite Crystal Connors, though, is <laughs> well, it? <laughs> just as artistic. Deborah Lamb was working as a new dancer uh, at a club when Katshia hired her with other actual strippers. She also used her as a body double for actress Paya Kamakai. Uh, Lam had been wanting to be an actress and use this role to jump into films. She ended up enjoying a long career, and as of December 2021, she had appeared in over 100 films with several more in pre-production, and she's also a producer and director. Oh, nice. Go on, Deborah Lam. She said in an interview that she has no problem with nudity, saying, I've always been a free spirit. And I guess all those years of changing in the car whilst my mother drove me to ballet class after school prepared me for not caring who saw me in my skivvies. 
and then later for not caring who saw me out of my skivvies. During all the years performing in the theatre and then later dancing in burlesque clubs and modelling, I've never had an issue with nudity. Go on, Deborah Lamb. Did somebody ask her if she has a problem? Uh, of like, course they did. You're interviewing oh my God. star of Strip to Kill. And you're saying, <laughs> you, yours have uh, been alright with nudity. Oh, bitch, please. You know, in anyone interviewed anyone about this film in 1987, the first one was oh, nudity, oh, the stripping, oh. Of course. That's why the VHS was popular. It's the people that had it on VHS that asked those questions. <laughs> so getting into the film, when Detective Cody Sheehan discovers the body of a stripper from the Rock Bottom Dance Club. She wants yeah, the rock, case. Rock Bottom, I, it's very tongue-in-cheek. I forgot it was called Rock Bottom. Oh, God. She wants the case, but the only way Cody can get the assignment is to go undercover. Uncovered at the club. What a genius premise, I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely stolen by Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just over a decade later. <laughs> I mean, imagine if this had Sandra Bullock as the uh, the lead... But then again, you don't have to, you just watch Miss Congeniality. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, they're both beauty in their grace. Do, do a clever edit with uh, showgirls and uh, you won't know the difference. Thanks. Okay. Uh, we get an opening scene with opening credits and a queen giving us an impressive dance routine to a really badly mixed song where the vocals are ridiculously loud and the singer is singing about not denying the night, singing about how good of a dancer she is, how she's the master of lies and the things you do for rock and roll. Now... As a musician who's been in a recording studio many times, this is very triggering for me because this is fucking horrendously produced, this song. It genuinely sounds like they just threw it together before and putting it in. Um, the voice is giving me Bob Dylan. <laughs> but the voice was like ten times louder than the music. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we had audio description on when we were watching it because oh, it was God. that loud. It sounded, and he was describing the scene. <laughs> Oh, she walks up to a pole. That's true. <laughs> she gets on the pole. <laughs> She's got big hair. She's wearing black lace. And, uh... Are these still the lyrics? No. <laughs> and there's lava lamps on each of the tables. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking lava lamps. Oh, my God. Um, That's a throwback. Yeah, the, the set design for this film was great. Um... <laughs> Cheap is the word you're looking yeah. for, cheap. Um, the badly dubbed rock bottom owner, Ray, is annoyed that the dancer was only topless for 30 seconds. No, 18. This is what it's it, 30. I, I have no idea. It's, it's, this film shoots like a rocket, thick and it fast. Does. The dialogue is thick and fast. We had to keep going back. They say, what? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? Um, at this one, I, I didn't quite get. What I gathered was she was meant to be topless for 30 seconds, mm-hmm. but she was only topless for 18. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It was yeah. like 18 seconds. And that's why old... What's his name? Ray. Ray. Old yeah. man Ray. That's why he's upset. <laughs> Ray's a conflicted so she, character. So she pulls her top down again, <laughs> and then the camera kind of... It didn't completely zoom in, but it just go quite close. <laughs> Ray's a bit of a conflicted character, because you get scenes like this where it's like, oh, okay, just stereotypical 
sleazeball strip club owner. But then you get other scenes where he sits down with the girls and he's like, oh, yeah, so how, how are you doing? He's like, oh, yeah, oh, are you doing all right? Oh, do you need a job or anything? It's like, oh, my God, Frank, you're a bit of a sweetheart sometimes, but... it's He's the only <laughs> male, in my opinion, the only male character in the film that isn't a total piece of shit. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because he's the one you would think would be the total piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, there's even a scene where, um, you know, he asks someone if they'll screw, and they're like, oh, what, for the job? No, no, I mean, we screw me over. Yeah. Well, he's a businessman. He is, yeah. This is his business. Um, He does love the girls, and he wants to look after them, but it's his business. Yeah. And that, at the end of the day, is his top priority. Yeah, which is very surprising. Yeah, it really is. It really is um, in terms of the film because that's not what you expect. You expect him to be sleazy. You expect him to be... Um, oh, Robert Darby's character yeah, in Showgirls. Yeah. Like, you give me a blowy and yeah. all that shit. You expect him to be like that and he's not. He's a slightly sweet old man. <laughs> um, we then immediately cut to... Yeah! Enter the dragon, 7.30. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Mark Golan, a guy with a beefy moustache. Um, yeah. Hits you in the face as soon as you enter the scene. Um, yeah, so we're introduced to <laughs> Eric, who has got his 80s bleach blonde yeah. dyed hair. <laughs> and who I thought was his landlord. It's just the neighbour. Um Shouting about Enter the Dragon yeah, playing he, that evening. He wants Eric to... says, I'll bring the popcorn. Um, he says, bring your sister. <laughs> Eric says, she's working. Yeah, he's not interested, is he? Uh, he's not interested in just Eric. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eric goes to see his sister, Roxanne, um, who, who's having a fun time with her girlfriend. Well, she's having half of a fun time. Half a fun time. Only one nipple's half. <laughs> We do get the dialogue, one nipple's hard and the other isn't. I mean, whatever film do you get that has a scene starting with shouting about Enter the Dragon and goes to another scene that starts with, one nipple's hard and the other isn't. <laughs> There's no reasoning behind that. Is there a breeze? Just half excited. Just, just half. Um, Roxanne and Angel are making out whilst Eric watches from the window. So we already noticed something a bit odd about Eric. Um, especially when we find out that Roxanne's his sister. Yeah, so Roxanne promises to never leave him, and he does come across very clingy. Yeah, just a very forced hug. A very forced hug. So he's he's our first little red herring, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Um, we then cut to Dazzler, who is by far the most athletic... <laughs> Of the dancers. And I mean, this is is the point of the film, is how athletic and artistic it is. And do you know what, Dazzler, she can go. Yeah, this is like J-Lo and Hustler's level. Oh, she's flipping and splitting. and (laughs) High kicks. High kicks. She's really going for it. In this one, she's a a biker chick. Yeah. With a nice little leather jacket. Um, She's bleach blonde as well. Um... Because, obviously, 1987. Um, we then... It's very impressive. But oh, it's so it's impressive. Not, the thing is, a lot of this film it, are these strip scenes. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult to really, obviously, describe 
to the listeners what without saying oh lovely breasts. Well, the best the she thing takes is, the top off. The thing is, it's it, the only way I can describe it is the fact that it, it's genuinely surprisingly compelling to watch. Yeah, like it, you know, with a film that's made of mostly strip scenes and whatnot. Um, you'd think it'd get boring fast, but each one is separated. Each one's different. Um, and especially this one, you know, it's so impressive. You just can't take your eyes off it. And that's the... And, and us two as two homosexuals, we would sit there and be like, oh, wow, look at that backflip. Look at that yeah. high kick. She's absolutely serving. And I think it, it kind of... It kind of... Um, states what the film is about yeah. in in essence and i think this is probably the most clear it's kind of um dealt with later on as well but the fact that these women aren't doing these things to titillate the men necessarily mm-hmm. i mean men in the audience just want to see her take a top off yeah they don't care if she can do backflips mm-hmm. and high kicks and gymnastics that doesn't really add much for them no but for her it makes it into an art. Yeah. It, it's something that she can do that no one else can do. Yeah. Really. And it makes it her own and it's her and she's a performer and she's on her stage. Yes, she takes the top off for it. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. And that is reiterated yeah. a lot throughout the film. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really a, a very interesting part. And yeah. I think it's very affirming for for you know women and, and sex workers in particular yeah and it's great coming from a female gaze um whereas if this was directed by a male director these scenes would just be yeah. there to explore exactly well you wouldn't have that you, you wouldn't would, have the artistic have side of things. yeah you, you would just have someone with a pole um you know not much choreography put into it all the clothes would be off, and the, the the camera would be way more invasive. But but you you compare this, and and the the real comparison is Showgirls, yeah. because it's a female director, a male director, yeah, a, a female writer, and a a, um, a male writer, yeah. of these films. And I fucking love Showgirls. Yeah. Um, but the direct comparison is this Dazzler, who is doing all these. Um, wonderful tricks mm-hmm. and Elizabeth Berkeley in yep. Showgirls who is I mean, slamming herself against Carl McLaughlin yeah, yeah. at every yeah. given chance yeah. I mean there's nothing sexy about that no you know no. it's just tits 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 yeah. you know fanny 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 that's that's mm-hmm. what that's about and it's completely different yeah and and if you wanted to compare this to another film with a female director that deals with stuff like this again like i mentioned um a few minutes ago hustlers hustlers directed by a woman yeah and again a film that very much shows you artistic stripping scenes um pole dancing and whatnot as a celebration of the art form yeah to to be Pro sex work mm. in nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, so ahead of its time. I mean, that is really ahead of its time. Yeah, like really seriously ahead of its time. Yeah, there's other films that have been, you know, um, pro sex work, um, but but to do that within a, a slasher film essentially yeah. is really ahead of its time. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's very impressive. And it's exactly why we celebrate women in horror movies, to look at things like this and look at the differences and celebrate these differences because yeah. we need more of it. We really do. This film could not have been made by a man. No, absolutely At the not. end of the day, it could absolutely not have been not. made by a man. It would not and have And the worked. thing is, it has been made by a man many a times, but they're of just course. throwaway films because yeah. they've just become the same. Well, you would, you, you'd have had the whole giallo thing yeah. where, so, you know, because she's a stripper, she'd at some point get a nipple cut off or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. like Lucio Fulci yeah. style. It's very um, sexually aggressive... Yeah violence which i mean we watch those kind of films and we you know take them for what they are yeah but it's so refreshing to have it, it from is. a different point of view uh, so one of the workers at the strip club uh the guy who introduced everyone is the is he the mc is that what you call him um, I don't know. yeah the mc surprisingly enough i haven't been to many strip clubs master of ceremonies um, and uh he's uh, trying to chat upon the strippers brandy <laughs> what does he have for her what does he have for us? Yes, tickets for Dire Straits. Oh, he does. <laughs> oh, this is so nineteen eighty seven, isn't it? She's not interested though, is she? She's she, not. she ain't taking those Dire Straits tickets. Um, do you, Ray backstage as well? Did you hear what he said on the phone? No. I did not spend all night talking about my penis. <laughs> oh my god! What is it with characters in films called Ray talking about the dicks? Is it Ray? I've got cheese on my penis. No, peanut butter on my penis. Peanut butter on my penis. <laughs> Halloween. Uh, we also have another stripper. I didn't quite get down her name, but um, she says, who do I have to blow to get some air conditioning around here? <laughs> and Ray didn't perk up, actually. He didn't say <laughs> me. <laughs> no, I someone mean, said the me. Insi- the insinuation was there. No, he said me. Did someone, he? Someone said me. I may not have been Ray, but someone said me. But it was done in a jokey way. It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't being serious. Um, we were introduced to creepy guy pocket. Oh, also, did you see what they had on their dressing room door? No. Sluts. <laughs> there we go. Um, I assume that was a choice made by the girls themselves. Um, yeah, a, a lot of the choices are very tongue in cheek. Yeah. Creepy guy pocket uh, makes his way into the club to give away some flowers, and he gets kicked out. Paper flowers. Paper flowers. Yeah, um, Angel is fuming. Biggest red herring of them all. Like, yeah, and but also kind of interesting. Um, I'm not sure if this is the point. I think I think it's just kind of red herring. It is usually the weird guy in films that ends up yeah. being the killer. Um, but in real life as well, I, th- there's plenty of stories, true crime stories, mm. where everyone isn't. Assumed it's the weird guy yeah. that lives down the road, and they he's been vilified, and it turns out he's had absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah, and people sort of judgments in that way. This guy is creepy. Yeah, let's not you know. But yeah. is he just um, somebody trying their best? Is it? If, yeah, you know. No, absolutely. He is coming across as a creep. Yeah. But at what point do you sort of say, oh, okay, he has his issues? By the time he leaves the film, he's a sympathetic character. That never happens. Rarely, no. rarely happens with films like this. Normally, it's a weirdo, red herring, great, he's a weirdo. He sounds like That's... dead, I suppose. Yeah, but not in this film, no. Just like, <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that when we get to yeah. it. Um, a hooded figure pushes Angel over a bridge 
and then sets her on fire and police officer Cody in disguise as a homeless person to catch people stealing money from buskers <laughs> just to find her. Yeah, so, so Angel's <laughs> on the phone with Roxanne and Roxanne tells her to meet her by the bridge. Yeah. And then when she gets there, the, the hooded figure throws her over. Um, yeah, Detective Cody Sheenan... Very glamorous homeless woman. Yeah. Dolly um, Parton. Dolly Parton. Christmas on the She's Square. Serving Dolly Parton. Christmas on the Square. Change. Uh, change. Homeless woman, real nurse. I just thought that she's dead just to catch people stealing money from buskers. Like, how often is this happening? Yeah, well, it happens. I mean, it happens. That's how she discovers Angel's body. Yeah. So Angel's pushed over. She's got gasoline poured on her. Um... Cody's about to fire her gun, mm-hmm. but she's stopped by... Now, this name is going to get me, because he doesn't have a first name. His his name is Detective Heinemann. You know how it's pronounced for the entire film. And no, it's an N. It's an N. It's, it's definitely intentional, <laughs> but there's definitely an N there. So it is Heinemann, but it, it absolutely sounds like Hyman, and I might keep saying Detective Hyman... <laughs> I do apologise. It is Heinemann. It that's what it says in IMDb. So what does it make you think of? Heinemann. Yeah. That per that woman. <laughs> the woman at Fright Fest saying <laughs> trying she to might get, be listening. If you're listening, please tell us why you you're trying to walk past someone to get to your seat and instructed him as to where your Heinemann is. <laughs> Oh yeah, you this, gotta do the impression. This is my hymen. <laughs> One of the colourful characters at Fright Fest. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least the guy knows where it is now. Educational. Um, Could have googled it, but okay. <laughs> um, he see, yeah. Uh, Sergeant Hyman meets up with her, and they have a laugh about a time when he had his throat slashed. <laughs> yeah, because he, he stops her from shooting, but um, the assailant throws matches anyway, yeah. and Angel is unfortunately killed. Um, Yeah, Angel is stripped before she's killed. Oh, stripped to kill. Get it? Title? Um, Later on, there's a bit of dialogue that she was sexually assaulted. Um, Again, going back to what we were saying before, if this was any other film, we'd have seen that in great detail. Yeah. Yeah, but also it doesn't kind of match what we see on screen. I don't understand at what point she was. Yeah, well, you know how fast the cuts go in this film. Yeah, like, I think we were meant to assume yeah, that about ten minutes have passed by. Yeah. Like, with every other fucking scene. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, another stripper does a routine with a snake. Yes, and who does she look like? Jane, Jane McDonald. Jane McDonald. She looks just like her court trash of her favourite... <laughs> Jane McDonald. She's got a bit of fire on stage and a tree. She's got a fucking really tree on the stage. I mean, this, this is what I mean about the set designs. You have these fucking elaborate setups um, <laughs> for this entire routine. It's great. It's really great. Um, I mean, her audience is mostly old men drawling. <laughs> yeah. So, well, yeah, really. But she's she's given us Britney. Um, I'm a slave for you. Yeah. Again, this is Mitch J McDonald purely for her own benefit. And Ray allows them to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is purely for her own benefit because those creepy old men on the front row could not give two shits whether <laughs> she's dancing next to a tree or not. 
Um, yeah, so, I mean, because this is the fastest moving strip club of all time, as soon as Jane gets off the stage, another stripper takes over. Um, she starts giving a sexy routine to a song with lyrics about the edge of love whilst Pocket watches in the audience. Her routine ends of her pouring enough champagne to fill the Nile over herself. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> it's not niche. Everyone's seen the trailer. Gay Twitter is aware of it. It's a little bit niche. It's a little bit niche. If anyone has seen the new... T- well, I say the new trailer. Um, I-, I swear this film's been pushed back. <laughs> The trailer's been out a while. Uh, for Death on the Nile. Um, in one scene, and Gal Gadot, the delivery is something else. <laughs> um, she just has enough champagne to fill the Nile. And it's <laughs> hilarious. So camp. And she throws the glass of champagne overboard. She does. She just flings it. It's, abs- it's amazing. It really is. <laughs> But, I mean, this dancer, she does have enough champagne to fill the Nile. She does have enough champagne to fill... Now, this is who I thought Roxanne was. I thought this was Roxanne. It might be Roxanne. They don't give the name for this dancer. No. So it could be. Could Um, be Roxanne. But one of the other strippers is fuming because she borrowed the top she was wearing when she did it. Yes. Not that the top was really on her anyway. Like she just a bit of champagne. <laughs> the, yeah, but there was enough to fill the Nile. There was enough to fill the Nile, but champagne wouldn't stain like that, would it? I don't know. It'd fucking stink though, wouldn't it? It would. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to go to the Nile and find out. Well, if it is Roxanne or it's not Roxanne, we then have Roxanne. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Sting. Um, she wants to. <laughs> she wants to put on the red light. Uh, she wants to quit for personal reasons. She does. But Ray won't pay her unless she performs. So this is... Oh, so this happens before Champagne. Oh, okay. So, champagne. so then Roxanne would have been um, the snake girl. No, Roxanne's not the... No, oh, that's, no that's Jane. Oh, yeah, her and Jane so, are not the same. Jane. So, so Jane, one of them. Jane performs. Oh, the, this film goes a mile a minute. This is why. So Jane performs. Then we have Roxanne wanting to quit. But Ray says you have to perform one last time. Or so I'm not going to give then. you That's, last week. Yeah. So then Roxanne is Champagne Girl. Lovely. Um, whilst Roxanne's performing, one of the other strippers says, look who changed her prescription. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. If anyone can help me figure out that joke... Or that read, or that bit of shade. I mean, maybe Someone changed her prescription. What does that even mean? I mean, she did change her mind about quitting. Oh, well, maybe. I mean, she obviously didn't change her mind, but maybe Who they would thought. Say, she... Oh, someone's changed their prescription. <laughs> I don't know. She's thought... maybe something a little different about her. Maybe she. Ah, maybe she got a little more pep in her step. Maybe. Maybe it's because obviously because that's Eric performing. Yeah. Yeah, but no, because she gets the boobs out. So it can't be Eric. No, it would be Eric. So I, I think Roger Corman's issue mm. was having a stripper strip played by a man yeah. in drag with fake breasts. Yeah. For the VHS fans. Yeah. So they had an actual female stripper perform that scene and as Roxanne. Uh, and, we're, okay. and then, obviously, because we never see her again do a strip. 
That's true, and those those fake boobs at the end do look pretty real. Um, so yeah. So I think that's what Roger Corman's issue was. Yeah. That then you, so. <laughs> the the uh, at home pockets <laughs> with the hands in the pockets. Yeah. Um, having a good time whilst <laughs> watching Strip to Kill. Uh, might get a little offended if it turns out the the strip scene they were getting their jollies over wasn't I mean they're an probably they're probably horrified anyway so they probably didn't do that much research into it so they probably think that was a man during scene. maybe well maybe <laughs> I mean that's that's you know that's on them uh, but Roger Corman I think that's essentially what Roger Corman was yeah. worried about there might be a backlash from you know the turkey twizzlers <laughs> maybe um <laughs> very polite way to say that <laughs> cucumber cody's informed on a cucumber oh. looking phone <laughs> a phone does look like a fucking cucumber it's ridiculous it does. um she's informed that angel was a stripper and she's not pleased because it'll be difficult to keep it quiet in a bizarre series of events hyman fills her in with the details in person and tells her she needs to go undercover as a stripper before pretending to stab her with a fake knife, which horrifies a customer at the donut shop where they're eating. And the customer's like, don't go into that asshole." Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and in fairness, I think Hyman might be the biggest twat of the film. Yeah, he is. Um, he thinks he's George Michael. Oh, my God, they have a we- he thinks he's George Michael. <laughs> they have a weird flu... Do you know who he thinks he is? <laughs> Michael Bean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they have a weird flirtation. It was it Gasty? I don't fucking know where they were. It was uh, a donut shop. And But then he starts, like, mansplaining her job to her. Yeah. Oh, it's in the eyes. you got to be quicker. you got to, like, stab... Whatever. He was just chatting shit. <laughs> um... Do, uh, did you get the bit before that with Dazzler in the back backstage? No. So uh, back just before that uh, backstage, Dazzler is in trouble for not taking her top off the previous evening, to which she explains she didn't feel the crowd earned. <laughs> which I think is fantastic. Yes, I think yes. that's the kind of this is what the film's about. She's doing it for her. She ain't doing yeah. it for the audience. I mean, if they haven't earned it, if they're not paying enough attention, mm-hmm. she's not going to take a top off. Yeah. <laughs> you know how? You know that's um, a great piece of dialogue. Uh, Cody isn't happy that she has to flash her tits to go undercover. No. She informs Hyman that she received a chain letter saying if she didn't share the letter with twenty-one people to spread love. Um, that a curse would destroy the lives of her future children, and now she knows who sent it, makes absolutely no sense no at sense. all. <laughs> Maybe she changed her prescription, because that makes very little sense. <laughs> Whatever the fuck she's talking about. The sarcastic receptionist is one of my favourite characters, um, <laughs> Shal, I think her name is. Um, she delivers them their messages and paperwork, whilst just being an absolute sarcastic bitch the entire time. Jeez. It's great. Um, fortunately, there's a competition going on at the Rock Bottom Strip Club that evening, and the winner is pretty much guaranteed a job. Yeah. Which I've just realised they're pretty much guaranteed a job because Angel died. Yeah. Which I think it's a bit harsh for them <laughs> for them to explain it in that way, but okay. Cody thinks Hyman is going a long way to see her topless, and Hyman didn't think that she uh, dates single men. 
Well, There's this ongoing subplot, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, she said, you go into a lot of effort to see me topless. We should have had an affair when we had a chance. Um, <laughs> Cody agrees to perform that evening. Um, the police force is there. Well, before that, the, re- the sarcastic receptionist uh, reveals that her sister owns a whorehouse. Uh, and starts doing Cody's makeup for um, her. She does do her makeup for her. Uh, whilst Hyman has gone out to um, to buy her, her outfit, and uh, he makes a good choice. To be fair, it's She's an all right outfit. Yeah. Uh, mm. The receptionist says, "My sister said, always beware for the ones who go for the feet." <laughs> oh yeah, because he bought shoes as yeah. well, didn't he? Um, but yes, yeah, so the force are going there to watch her, the whole force. Yeah. We immediate cut. Immediate cut, <laughs> immediate cut <laughs> to a very leggy beauty wowing the crowd. Uh, the police are a little too excitable though and they uh, yeah. get told off by Heinemann. Um Then it's Cody's turn. <laughs> and unfortunately the struggle is real for poor Cody. Yeah, she freezes. Um, she freezes, she don't know what to do, she can't dance, she's very robotic. Um, well, she starts dancing like a drunk middle-aged aunt at an 80s disco. Um, yeah. But then, she aggressively rips her clothes off and starts slamming them to the floor like they just called her mum a twat. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that moment of miscongeniality when all the all the <laughs> pageant contestants drink her water <laughs> and she has to think of a... Uh... <laughs> A, a something to do on the spot uh-huh. and she just it's the, that moment where she's like ah fuck it I'm just gonna rip the dress yeah. off um, she's still really shit compared to the woman that came before her but because all the police are there she does win doesn't she well she starts wiggling she gets her. the most applause did you get on your notes when she started wiggling her ass at that guy who tried grabbing it but Hyman stopped him oh yes of course that guy that gets handsy uh, a top comes off, and at first she looks so proud of it, but then she looks horrified, and someone from the audience gives her a jacket. Yeah. <laughs> Conveniently, despite being a bit naff, um, Cody... A bit naff? Going by stripper named Sunny, wins the applaud meter... ex-wife's name. <laughs> well, she wins the applaud meter, she gets $300. She does, yeah. Um, Cinnamon is next. Yeah, Cinnamon performs to a fucking awful song. <laughs> Something about money make the yeah. world go around. This is the loud singer coming back. This is all from the start of the film. Oh, it's... A, I can't remember how it went. My most world go around. Something like that. He's yelling it. Oh, fucking awful. Awful. The music in this is terrible. I'm sorry. We can't say the same about Cinnamon's outfit, though. She is serving classic Hollywood realness. She is. And her dance, oh my god, she lifts her legs in the air, starts spanking herself. She does. She does some spins. She does too many spins, though, don't she? She Darren? does. And she falls right in old... Um, pockets pocket. Pockets. In his pocket, yeah. Gives in me a kiss. Lap. <laughs> yes. She returns backstage, and it's very... It's not clear that she's... I just thought she did too many spins and fell. Yeah. But then when she gets backstage, it's very clear that she's... White girl wasted. She's white girl wasted, but probably not on the Pinot Grigio. <laughs> um, she. This is also kind of like a show girls as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, what she makes a joke. What's the difference between a woman and sushi? 
Which the, the answer is rice. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. Um, Roxanne comes to the strip club because she has to work despite needing a night off. And, well, she uh, says she has nowhere else to go. Oh, yeah. With Angel dead. And someone says to her... Which makes no sense, seeing as it's Eric. Well, yeah. Why wouldn't he just, like, disappear? (laughs) Well, someone says to her, Hey, life's a bitch and then you die. After her lover has just been murdered. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Cinnamon is too white girl wasted and gets sacked by Ray. She's fuming. So she tries flagging down a taxi when two lesbians ask if she wants a threesome. And how does she respond to that? I don't I can't remember. Sluts! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Back in the dressing room, Jane McDonald's playing with nunchucks in a cave girl outfit. <laughs> she is. Ray tells, um, well, uh, Sonny, <laughs> but Cody, that she's the worst dancer he ever saw in his life. <laughs> but but this, she's hired. <laughs> yeah, this is the scene where he's like, you're on drugs, you're reliable, would you screw me? It's like, what, for the job? He's like, no, would you screw me over? You're the worst dancer I've seen in my life. You're hired. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the girls is explaining about why Pocket's called Pocket. Because he always got his hands in his pocket. He's, he's always jacking off for his pocket, apparently. Um, we were introduced to Fanny. Yeah, so... in we watched, You watched Chicago with me, didn't you? Yeah. Um, so Tay Diggs, as the band leader in Chicago, you know when he goes... Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Roxy Hart. <laughs> the MC is just like he that. Is. <laughs> like, ladies and gentlemen, the South Block Tango. <laughs> but in this case, it's ladies and gentlemen, Mademoiselle Fanny. <laughs> Which in the UK is absolutely hilarious. I do understand in America, Fanny is a not like sweary way of saying bum, you know. Yeah. Um, or oh, oh, ass. Um, but in the UK, for someone to be announced as Mademoiselle Fanny is absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Um, yeah. And Fanny means vagina in the UK. Yeah, essentially. I'm sure it's we gave not, this lesson a, before. Yeah, it's not a particularly rude way of saying vagina, but you wouldn't go around saying Fanny a lot, would you? I mean, there's some people that were once called Fanny. I've got someone... Some people are called Fanny. ...down my family tree called Fanny. It's like, you really must hate your kids when you call them that. Well, there's been lots of Fannies in Pokemon. <laughs> there has, yeah, and we celebrate them on this Fanny podcast. Fanny Hill. Um, <laughs> Fanny Craddock. Yeah. Um, yeah, Fanny is just... Oh, just absolutely slay. She, either, she might be the best one. Or the, or the motorbike one. Dazzler is my favourite, but Fanny is my second favourite. Yeah. <laughs> she's slain on a rug. Um, she, well, she's absolutely fuming because the rug wasn't there when it was meant to be there. No. So she just kind of stands there waiting. Like, <laughs> this is part of... And again, it's the the fact that she's performing. She's not performing for the blokes. No. She's not performing for old pockets, giving himself a treat in the front row. <laughs> You know, if her rug ain't there, she ain't performing. Yeah. I mean, that's part of her act. That is her art. We also found out um, that she used to be pregnant and had an abortion. No. No? No, she she gave it away. She gave it abortion. away? Yeah. Oh, I thought they said she killed it. No, no. Dazzler says, if I remember correctly, Dazzler says she didn't want to kill it. 
Mm-hmm. So she gave it away, and hopefully one day she'll they'll meet again. And here, here was me thinking That's... they were um, doing some positive representation for abortions, but no, it's not, yeah, it's, yeah. But still, I mean, you know, that makes it more melodramatic, I guess. I suppose it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, I suppose it, um... I'm glad, I'm just glad she got a backstory, to be honest. I mean, she starts doing Fergie-style cartwheels on the stage. <laughs> um... Oh, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> Most of our listeners You're are probably... You're in the jungle, baby. Most of our listeners are probably gay, they don't know what we're on about. Um, so... <laughs> If you're not, please just um, go on YouTube and search Fergie Cartwheels. I'm sure it'll come up. Um, Cody informs Hyman about Pocket being the local pervert and asks him to keep an eye on him. Cody goes to speak to Pocket, but it, but he's sat there with his headphones on, isn't he? He's got his Walkman on. Yes. Um, <laughs> Do you, you know, there, we go to the cinema a lot. Oh, my God. And there is a guy that seems to go to all the same films as us. And he said, and I'm not suggesting he's got his hands in his pocket, <laughs> but he's always got headphones on. Now imagine if he's listening. You said about the Fright Festival, and this is even weirder. <laughs> and, uh, what? You, you remember these people, when they've got a distinguish, distinguishing um, characteristic, like he's always got these headphones on. And, you know, he's got fabulous taste in films, because we're always at the cinema together, seemingly at the same time. Um, but I was, I was thinking <laughs> about him. <laughs> this when guy with the headphones all the in time. A strip okay. <laughs> well, someone at the same place at the same time as you, constantly with headphones on. You know. If if by some chance you are listening to us, please let us know because that'd be the weirdest fucking coincidence in the history. Of yeah, we're not. You know, I'm. Just, you know, talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> if we we'll get, get approached next film. time we, we go to the cinema about. next time we go to the cinema if the headphones guy approaches us and asks us why we compared him to a pervert in Stripped to Girl I, I, I'm letting you respond okay <laughs> he's better than Temple Run guy okay look, let's not list everyone who goes to the cinema at the same time as us that's a bit weird <laughs> um, even for us <laughs> Just hiring your expectations of how weird we could be. Um, Cody spills a drink over headphones guy and he panics while she tries touching him. She tells him that Angel died and he says, uh, all he says is beautiful. But then he hands her a paper flower and she says, it's paper. And he says, nothing real is worth shit. Oh, oh God. <laughs> it's chocolate. <laughs> what? <laughs> he, he wasn't really giving me drag race, <laughs> really. It's chocolate. <laughs> Hyman tries to get a random guy in a car who looks like Shelley from Friday the 13th Part 3 uh, to try selling a pocket uh, a pocket knife to pocket. He flips it <laughs> pocket flips it around like an expert and somehow creates a drum beat sound of it. Uh, but doesn't buy it, does he? No, well, no, he helped him pick it up. Oh, he had to pick it up. Yeah, because oh. he dropped it. He, he didn't have the intention of buying it. But he, he's really good with it, though, isn't he? But, yeah, conveniently, <laughs> he's, like, a master <laughs> at flip knives for some reason. Someone says hi to Cinnamon on her way home. Um, obviously a fan of hers from the club. Hi, Cinnamon. 
and uh, and then she continues walking and she is strangled to death with a metal cord before the killer ties her corpse to a lorry. Yeah, um, this one, why did Cinnamon die? I don't know. See, this is a slasher film and in 1987, by this point, it, you know, horror was very big on body count slashers. Uh, so it, it actually surprised me how little people die in this yeah. film. Uh, I mean, the deaths are nasty when you get them, but... But I think ooh, Cinnamon's is pointless, isn't yeah. it, really? Yeah, but she is the sort of person in any other slasher film that would die. But yeah, then absolutely. because no one else dies... There's so many of the others yeah. would as well. Actually, yeah. quite a few of the strippers survive. Yeah. Um, because Eric kills... For a means to an end. Yeah. So that's why I didn't get why Cinnamon died because mm. it's not like she found anything out or she caught on to him no. or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's one for the body count, but I mean, it kind of feels like a disposable kill, really, yeah. which goes against what the film's really about. Um, but I'm sure, I'm sure Roger Corman forced her to uh, throw in a couple of death scenes. <laughs> Cody compliments uh, another one of the strippers on their dancing. Fanny. Fanny. Oh, it's Fanny, was it? Okay. Mm-hmm. She compliments Fanny on the dancing, and Fanny's like, thanks. That means a lot coming from a woman. Usually it's just guys saying that. Mm hmm. A, a lot of women say that they, you know, they dress for each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they put makeup on. It, it's not for, for men necessarily. And, you know, if you dress up for men, then I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But, um,. You know, a lot of them say, well, actually, a compliment means more yeah. from another woman. Cody goes home and hears a noise as she sneaks upstairs, heels on and gun in hand. Uh, and she finds Hyman having a shit. Yeah. So he's having a shit. She <laughs> forces the door open. She's very pleased to have seen his knob now. Yeah. And he doesn't wipe his ass before pulling his trousers no. up. No, she pulls them up. It's flushes. a flush. Yeah. Starts mocking her stripper name, and she reveals she chose Sunny because she needed something that stands for slut. Yeah. Which is Heinemann's <laughs> ex-wife's name. Um, they have more flirtatious conversation, and Cody is insulted when Heinemann suggests that her tits flopped on stage. Well, he says if he'd seen one more tit, he'd have thrown up. Um, and she's like, I thought men liked tits flopping around. And he was like, all I could see was yours flopping around. And she's like, they don't flop around. <laughs> And he goes home. Yeah, he just yeah, he just goes as a shit and goes <laughs> home. Uh, the next day, Heinemann gives the 411 on the girls. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Roxanne and Eric fled from an abusive father. Yeah, who killed their mother. Who killed their mother. Um, and Dazzler was arrested for beating someone up once. Um, okay. <laughs> then... We get a very strangely artistic glow-in-the-dark <laughs> spiderweb number from yeah. Brandy. Um, give me Elvira in Vegas at the end of Mistress of the Dark. Yeah, given, you know, Kiss of the Spider-Woman. <laughs> well, I'm not sure what it's giving. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how stripping works in the dark, but okay. Yeah. Very artistic, though. Uh, we then get... Oh, now I've got this down as Roxanne. I had this down as Roxanne. So Roxanne starts to perform a Japanese-inspired number when she sees Pocket and accuses him of murdering Angel. Yeah. Um, So I suppose that makes sense. 
Because it's Eric, yeah. and Eric is throwing them off the scent by accusing mm-hmm. Pocket. So everyone's going to think it's Pockets. Um, so that does make sense. Cultural appropriation? A little bit. A little bit. Um, yeah, no. I look, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a lot of bit. <laughs> uh, three of the girls corner Pocket outside and push him to the ground to question him when Cody stops them. Uh, they explain they can't call the cops because they don't care about them and reveal that Roxanne and Angel were a serious couple. So, I mean, two things about this scene. You know, the whole thing about the cops not caring about them. A bit of serious social commentary there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure that was very much the case. Which is weird because they're saying it directly to a cop. Um, yeah, obviously. Yeah. yeah, which is a bit strange yeah. because actually the cops... Do, do at least two of them do care? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, which uh, it's a bit. But I do understand. You know, at the time, it, it, in real life, it was unlikely that they would, uh, the cops would care that much. Um, I think particularly with sex workers, prostitutes, a lot of their sort of disappearances, um, went unsolved. Yeah, because the police just didn't care enough. Pretty much. And uh, the whole thing about Roxanne and Angel being a serious couple as well, I, it's such a great, it's such a great touch. Yeah, they because Cody's a little shocked, and you know, Dazzler explains it's not what you think. They really had something, mm. um, which is you know, great presentation, uh, presentation. Excuse me, representation for yeah nineteen eighty seven. I mean, it's you know not massively groundbreaking, but it's nice to see that and it be treated. Um, seriously. Yeah, it felt it felt like a bit of a dig at, you know, all the other films from around that time where if you would see two women kissing, it would have been entirely sexualised for exploitation purposes. Yeah. Um, whereas this is like, no, they're, they're actually a couple. This is actually a serious relationship they had. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because she says it to Cody, but yeah. also I think it stands to the audience as yeah. well. It's not what you think. That scene at the beginning of mm. the film wasn't titillation. Mm-hmm. It was a loving couple. Yeah. You know, it's not what you think. It wasn't just for show. You know, if if you if you got your jollies off it, that's that's on you. Mm. What we were actually showing was a loving couple. Yeah. In a loving embrace. Yeah. So Cody provides Hyman with the information and explains that Cinnamon is missing, but he dismisses it. She suggests putting a tracker on Roxanne and checking out the brother. Hyman pretends to stab her with that fake knife again oh, and they flirt for sick. a bit. <laughs> oh, do you know what I, I put down here? I said, just shag already. Um, Cody does a lovely performance. Sat a on a zebra chair. On a zebra chair. Uh, minimal dancing required, <laughs> thankfully. Um, she goes over to one of the patrons for a tip but gets told off. Yeah. Because it's no topless within five feet of the audience. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, is that a, re- a real I mean, rule? that didn't seem to be a rule for the rest of the film, but okay. <laughs> no, I, I think they go towards the audience, but I don't think topless, unless she... Well, I suppose she fell, didn't she? Mm. She fell off the stage. Uh, but I don't, know if, I don't know if that's a general rule for strip clubs. Maybe. I mean, again, that's polar opposites to showgirls. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not that... Um, familiar if i'm being honest ray tells her that if she comes back late from break one more time he's going to be docking her pay by a full hour and she says just try it and then the scene cuts immediately to another scene yeah <laughs> where cody speaks to jane mcdonald uh, about roxanne 
Fanny starts another routine, and uh, Roxanne goes to speak to Cody. Then we cut immediately to another scene. <laughs> Um, where Roxanne goes home and catches Hyman breaking into her house. Uh, no. It is, isn't it? No, Hyman breaks into Roxanne and Eric's apartment, so he's caught by the, um, the neighbour. Yeah, that's what I just said. You said Roxanne. Yeah, she's there watching from the bush. Is she? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, she's there watching. Uh, and the neighbour catches him. How did I miss that? Yeah, um... They catches him and they make friends quickly and he explains that Eric was with him watching Bruce Lee flicks when the murder took place. That's not true, is it? No. Um, Cody and Hyman, uh, their superiors, discover that Cody's been dancing at the club and they order her to stop. Cody is fuming when Hyman reveals that... Uh, that Cody is fuming when Hyman reveals they knew she was going into cover, but he added a topless dancing part. Yes, so the actual assignment was just for her to work at the strip club. Yeah. Which I'm like, well, what, is she going to get a job behind the bar? Is she going to become the MC? Mm-hmm. I mean, surely, surely she... I know, yeah, it's, it's a little silly. Like, what else is she going to do? Yeah, like, what else is she going to do? Like, if anything, he would be more likely to get a job yeah. not stripping at the club. Yeah. Uh, it could be like a doorman or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I suppose that kind of horrible banterish flirtation between the two where he's just a fucking massive prick. Yeah, he also reveals that there's an APB out for pocket because it was revealed that Angel was raped. But I don't want to immediately assume that it's got to be pocket. That's the thing. The only man in that town with a penis. Yeah, it, it's kind of... I don't think the police would necessarily be like that, but I think it's indicative of, like, a trial by media mm. sort of situation. Um, but, yeah, so... Roxanne isn't a suspect no. anymore. No, Cody tells Ray uh, she's resigning after working for one more night and performs a routine where she sits at a dressing table... <laughs> Takes off her glasses and shoes before undressing and dancing before a stand with blinds. Uh, which eventually lifts. And then she starts dancing along the runway and starts working the pole whilst Hyman watches. Yeah, so just before then, Brandy um, tells Ray that she has to leave early as she may have a yeast infection. Oh yeah. Um, and then Cody talks to Brandy and Cody actually admits that she... Um, is quite enjoying the stripping and the sort of free-spirited and cutting-loose nature of the stripping. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about turning them on. Yeah. So, again, that reiterates what the film's been about. Um, because you see at the beginning, when Cody first strips, mm-hmm. she's too busy thinking about what would titillate the male audience. Yeah. yeah. But now she's putting on shows, she's putting on performances, mm-hmm. and she's way more th- free and, you know, loose in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's enjoying it. She actually enjoys the way it feels. Uh, Hyman meets her backstage and gives her a talent off for going back for another night of work. And he also reveals that they found Cinnamon's corpse. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a dickhead, isn't he? he he's is. the one who wanted her to strip in the first place. And mm-hmm. now he's trying to shame her. Yeah, he's still convinced that Pocket's the killer as well. 
Um, and this conversation leads to them having sex on her yoga mat. Well, yeah, yeah. So he's adamant Pockets is the culprit, but Cody isn't too sure. Uh, he shames her for sleeping with married men. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, who is he? Neely Leakes? <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone will get that, but... <laughs> Close your legs to married men. Uh, and gets a slap for his trouble. Mm-hmm. I quite enjoyed that. Uh, after the slap, though, they finally shag on on the yoga mat, but also, <laughs> yeah. like, on the concrete floor of Cody's home, <laughs> right by the front door for something. It's like, the bed is literally upstairs. It, what are you doing? It, it makes me laugh. And it looks really cold as well. It does. it's, like, it everywhere's, does. like, concrete. <laughs> yeah, she lives in, like, a fucking warehouse. She, um, it's so weird. Like, where does she live? It, it does make me laugh how he struggles so much to undo a top. It's like, I thought you didn't want to see me naked. And it looks like it's about to launch into this really seedy sex scene. And next minute, it's them waking up in the morning arguing know, again. Yeah. <laughs> like we had to see all this stupid flirting all this time. <laughs> um, there's a call on the phone, which Hyman answers. Yeah. And he leaves to go to the station mm-hmm. for whatever. But it's Cody's phone. Yeah. Which I was very confused by because she stays behind. Even though the call was on her phone, it's no one questioning why he's answering her phone first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, Cody apologises for not being a great shag. And Heinemann insinuates that strippers are all show and shames her for enjoying being a stripper. Um, so he's a dick. Yeah. Isn't he? Um, trying to, well, shame her for the sex work, really. Oh, yeah. Um, Cody also explains that she has a gut feeling Pockets is not the killer. And Hyman dismisses her. Because he's a man. Yeah. (laughs) Essentially, because, you know, the men in this film are dickheads. Yeah. And he is, you know, um, number one dickhead. Yeah, and uh, he goes out to question the Shelley lookalike about uh, what he sells to Pocket. Okay. Yeah, what crazy, weird thing does he sell to Pocket? I actually didn't get it down. What does he sell to him? He says, classical music. Weird, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and he, how does he pay him? Uh, <laughs> paper Fucking flowers. paper flowers. Okay, I mean, why is he dealing classical music down yeah, back alleyways for paper flowers? <laughs> well, <laughs> the classical music leads um, Hyman to find Pocket <laughs> in an outdoor classical music performance. Yeah. Um, he roughs him up, but in turn discovers that Pockets is missing his hand. Yeah. So that he hasn't... He's not always given himself a treat. No. He's hiding his... Missing hand, essentially. Yeah. Um, now, this, I, I wasn't really sure. I mean, he looks in Pocket's wallet and sees... His, is he a doctor or something? He, he has a number there for a doctor. Oh, for um, a doctor. Linking to him. Um, and he calls up and, uh, yeah, he's, he's told that he's innocent, basically. Yeah, essentially, the... the, the Basically told that, that he wouldn't be able to, or, or whatever. I, I, yeah. I'm not 100% sure it wasn't really explained. Um, but the Heinemann realises that he's made a mistake. Um, Cody goes to see Roxanne for a pre-agreed well, dinner. Well, before that, um, before that we get the sarcastic receptionist again, 
who explains to Cody um, that the the neighbor Margolan uh, had been blackmailing prostitutes for sex. Oh yeah. Uh, what is his name? Margolan. Mark. Margolan. 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 Yeah. I thought you've been saying Mark Olin. No, Margolin. Margolin. Um, which then is that just one word? Yeah. Which which leads Cody to suspect Roxanne and Eric more. Like she acts like, oh shit, this means something. Yeah. But I think she maybe suspects Margolin. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, so she goes to pay Roxanne a visit. Um, but yeah, no, but before, I mean, Pocket's exit from that is like, um, Hyman's offering him a lift home, and he's actually being really nice to him. And it's like I was saying earlier, you know, the fact that a character like that gets his explanation and ends on a good note is, is very rare. Yeah. Like this. Yeah, usually he, w- he would be killed off straight away yeah. afterwards. Um, but yeah, so Cody pays a visit to Roxanne. Oh no, he would be killed off, his body would be discovered, yeah. and then a hand would be discovered. It's like, <gasps> dun dun dun. Yeah, when, uh, when Cody goes to Roxanne's house, she encounters Eric instead. Uh, when Eric's behaviour reminds her of Roxanne's, Cody searches the apartment, discovering Margolin's corpse in the process. Yeah, now Eric's got a little bit of a goatee on the go. Yes. Hasn't he? Uh-huh. Um, which is a little strange. I mean, that's some good makeup coverage if he's covering a goatee bit. Uh-huh. Or it grows very fast. Um, but yeah, Mar- Margolin. That's so it's weird. How are you spelling that, Margolin? M A R G O L A N. Oh. Um, I miss- I've misheard that for the whole time. <laughs> Roxanne reveals herself to be Eric, dressed in drag. He has been posing and performing as his dead sister at the club, wearing fake latex breasts. Yeah, yeah, he says, um, he says about Margolin that, um, Margolin wanted more, but less than I could actually give him. Mm-hmm. Um, which I assume is referring to his genitals. I think so. It also explains why Margolin said to Hyman that he was watching Bruce Lee with Eric whilst uh, the murder was going on. So he would have knew about it all along. Oh, so you think that Eric was blackmailing yeah. Margolin to lie? Oh, so that's why Cody was like, shit, blackmailing, uh, blackmailing sex workers. Yeah. She would have thought it would have been Roxanne. Potentially, yeah. yeah but it's Eric, obviously. It was Eric, yeah. Um, what do you think to this twist? I, I, I kind of feel like it's problematic in a certain sense. Um, I, but I don't know. I don't think it's massively... It's... It's, it's iffy. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not 100% sure because... They're not saying he's killing people because he wanted to dress as a woman. No. It was... Uh, I'm very confused by this twist, and I, I do I do feel like potentially the twist wasn't fully thought through, mm. um, and it's therefore problematic because it's just purely for shock value, yeah, yeah. and it doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. Because so, what I gather from the film is that Eric um, killed Roxanne. Yeah, because he and, feared that she was going to leave with... 
Angel. With Angel. Yeah. Yeah. Which is confusing anyway, because if if you're scared of someone leaving, mm-hmm. I mean, if you kill them, that's very permanently. Yeah. Um, but that aside, he would have dressed as Roxanne to quit. Yeah. And to leave, to cover his own back. They'd be like, Roxanne's left, you know. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. But then he continued to dress as Roxanne, which is where it becomes a little iffy. Yeah. And that, it just doesn't make any sense. It makes you Why wonder... did he kill Cinnamon? That doesn't make any yeah. sense. It makes you wonder if this two-hour cut added anything to that. Potentially, to make it more of he was covering his own back. Yeah. Because it plays out as that was it for the beginning. Mm-hmm. But then, kind of, it becomes where well, he just actually ended up really loving, pretending to be his sister. Yeah. And, you know, dressing up as a woman. Mm. that's when it becomes problematic because it's not it's it's kind of he didn't become insane until he did that because that's when he started killing randomly whereas before it was Mm -hmm. a means to an end because he'd you know and then also going back to the trauma of their father killing their mother it is it is a bit problematic because it feels um exploitative yeah of of you know of that it yeah it's uh... yeah i mean it's it's preferable to them actually saying like a lot of other films do actually say oh it's because you know you wanted to be a woman and oh absolutely it's preferable to that but yeah it's still iffy yeah it's it's because it's not fully explained yeah. and fully thought out it can be misconstrued potentially yeah. Uh, Hyman arrives at the apartment and Eric shoots him. Cody flees with Eric in pursuit whilst a stripper starts performing a moody routine in a big black cape at rock bottom. Yeah, looking like a fucking executioner. <laughs> uh, this one is a bit... This one's a little far-fetched. <laughs> it's a bit like, okay, I know you're being artistic, but... <laughs> I mean, it's a... This is just weird. <laughs> it, it, that and the spider one is just like, yeah. um, you're meant to be a little bit sexy. <laughs> um, after Eric continues setting fire to stuff and a random punk offers to sell Cody a rat. Uh, <laughs> a fucking giant rat? That was huge. The chase eventually leads them back to rock bottom where Eric begins indiscriminately shooting people after saying, hi girls. <laughs> He then does a big slow motion jump kick to Cody's face. Don't even. While with, swinging on the pole. With the pole for <laughs> leverage. I mean, that drop kick was beautiful. Oh, Cody douses uh, Eric in gasoline. And when he tries to shoot her, he accidentally sets himself on fire. But before that, he's obviously he's going after the other girls at the strip club. And uh, Cody's like, come on, you slut, shoot me. <laughs> And then she throws her fake knife at his fake tits. <laughs> and it bounces off them. Yeah, well, she she remembers <laughs> earlier, doesn't she, when she was stopped yeah. from shooting because of the gasoline. Mm-hmm. So that's why she's egging him on to shoot. <laughs> and he gets set on fire. She gets shot in the leg, doesn't she? she? Um, Hyman saves the day. Well, yeah, so he's... Um, 
Oh, uh, he wore the vest to save the chest. He did, he did. Um, and he gets there just in time because, well, Cody's about to be set on fire. Yeah. From, you know, one of the trails of gasoline. Um, he decides to end the film by shaming her for having fat thighs. Yeah. Um, he says, oh, you'll be fine. You got shot on your uh, fat thigh. To which uh-huh. she replies, my thigh is not fat. And the end. <laughs> what a twat. <laughs> that is stripped to kill. That is stripped to kill. <laughs> Absolute blast. It really is. I mean, it's just so much fun. You can just watch it anytime. It's just so entertaining. And it moves so fast as well. It's not the longest film in the world. It's like an hour and 25 minutes and... The pace of it is so fast, you'll never be bored for a second. No, it, it's maybe a little too fast at times, <laughs> especially when you're trying to make notes. We haven't, we haven't mentioned, the dubbing is fucking horrendous. It is. Um, it's really badly dubbed, but it, that just adds to it. It, it really does. Um, it's just entertainment at its finest. It genuinely is. It's one of, it's, you know, we say it all the time on the podcast, it's one of those, stick the film on, you don't have to think too much. No. You can just have fun. Um, it's not... It, it's actually quite affirming. Yeah. Towards, you know, sex workers and towards women. And it, if you like boobies, there's lots of boobies in there as well. Um, yeah, just fun time had by all. It is. It is. Um, I, I think it's a... a... I, I, it used to be on Prime. Uh, I mean, it's on YouTube in full because it's not available many other places. It really deserves a Blu-ray release. I think it. Yeah, yeah. I think it should have a Blu-ray release. So hopefully, like some, in a, someone will in a box set with loads yeah. of like B movie, um, Roger Corman films. So, uh, if you are a fan of Strip to Kill, uh, I know some of you have already reached out to us. Let us know on social media. We're Horror Court Trash of a. Uh, on Facebook and Instagram, Horrorcourt Trash on Twitter. I'm Gaz 92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am ChrisBarker823 on Instagram, Twitter and Letterboxd. Give us a rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, like a follow on think else and a rating on Spotify. Next week, we are bringing the Queen back to Horrorcourt Trash over. We're discussing more Jennifer Tilly with our first of two Valentine special episodes where we're talking about Tiffany Valentine in Bride of Chucky. Ah, see what you did there. I know, yeah. Uh, And because it's romantic in uh, Fucked Up. Oh, yeah, that that Catherine Heigl and random dudes. (laughs) Hey, I'm on about Chucky and Tiffany. I'm not (laughs) on about (laughs) Catherine Heigl's character. Um, Yeah... Come back next week for chats about mostly Jennifer Tilly, um, doll much. sex, and 90s meta horror, post-Scream Chucky. Hey. So, very, very on brand, brand for yeah. us. Um, and even Blondie as well. There's even some Blondie in it as well. Nice. What? It's a, it's a camp old time. So, we will see you same time, same place next week. Bye.